Would you please take the word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Exodus and uh, chapter 20. We have been looking at the Ten Commandments. As I mentioned, the commandments are broken down into two main sections. The first four are deal with man's relationship with God, and the last six commandments deal with man's relationship with his fellow man. As we see here that there are Ten Commandments, we know that the Ten Commandments are not all that there is, but if you study the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, that each commandment is expanded upon. And we understand that they're not supposed to be limited in the sense that we think about the letter of the law, but there is a spirit, and really uh, each commandment covers a family of sin, family of sins, that there are many things that fall under the category of each one of those things. And we've dealt with, with regards to the commandments of um, man's relationship with man, he began by the first relationship. And the first relationship is honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first relationship. And if we get that relationship right, then it will help with many other relationships. The second one, Thou shalt not kill, deals with a not to hold in contempt or to despise another human being. And there are two references, one in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, that you ought not to take somebody's life because that person is creating the image of God. In the book of James, he says you should not use your tongue to despise or to hurt somebody willfully with your tongue because they're made in the image of God. And so we have to be considerate of our fellow man. And we dealt with also thou shalt not commit adultery. And the idea there is the opposite positive virtue is faithfulness. And unfaithfulness is a very serious thing in many areas of our lives we ought to be found faithful. We come now to the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to do as we've done before, begin in verse 1 and work our way down to verse 15. So Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, the word of God says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, Out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't bring anyone up, anything else, to the level of God. Only one God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Don't bring God down to man's level. Or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, 
and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We should not think of God lightly and loosely. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God ought to be the priority in our lives. He ought to be first. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. We know that there is a, in direct application, there is a national promise of preservation. If the children of Israel would honor their parents... The context here, he says, upon the land. What's the land there? That's the promised land. Their residing in the promised land would be extended if they would simply honor their father and their mother. And so he says, if you will not honor your father and the mother, it, it, will, it will begin the breakdown of society and your removal from the land. That's a pretty serious thing. He goes on to say, thou shalt not kill. Do not despise your fellow man. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And for our commandment this evening, Thou shalt not steal. The title this evening is, Thou shalt not steal. But if I had a subtitle is, Are you a thief and you don't know it? Again, we're interested in the spirit of the law. And as we read the Bible, we're going to find that the spirit of the law is quite pertinent to every one of our lives. And I think that we might all find ourselves in some areas to be thieves. And we may not know it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Give us understanding. Help us to understand the spirit of the law. And not to confine ourselves to the letter. I pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts. Give us spiritual understanding concerning this truth. Help us to understand the intent as you desired for it to be understood then and how you desire for us to be understood now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been doing here with all of the commandments, I'm going to begin with the primary application, the most evident application or understanding of the commandment, and then we're going to move progressively to the family of sins that are covered under this commandment, and also we're going to go and talk about the spirit of the law. As we think about this commandment, we see for every one of those commandments expanded within the book of Exodus and even the book of Leviticus is not only that the violation of those commandments is wrong, but that the consequence of violating those commandments is quite severe. Uh, the consequence for violating this uh, commandment, uh, notice if you go really into chapter 22, is mentioned in chapter 22 and verse 1. Just a few chapters later, notice Exodus chapter 22 
and verse 1. He says here, if a man shall steal an ox. So you have the commandment, thou shalt not steal. But now he goes into the specific, if you steal an ox. So let's go into the specifics of giving one example and then talking about the consequences of violating this commandment. If a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And so here, if you notice here, you remember, for example, taking somebody's life would warrant your life being taken from you. Uh, Here, and so you might say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But here, if we know when it comes to stealing, in proportion, the punishment for stealing would leave the transgressor in a worse state than before the crime was committed. In this sense, that if you steal here an ox and you were caught whether the ox died or whether you sold the ox, then the consequence of violating this commandment, you would have to repay fivefold for the ox, fourfold for the sheep. And so you would be left in a worse state than before you committed the crime. By the way, it is interesting that in our society today, uh, there are many states now who are ba- begin to pass laws that are softening the consequences of the crime. And the truth is, if we just simply uh, lived by the Word of God, there would be less crime because the consequences would be felt. Just California recently, I think it was uh, Resolution 47. I may be wrong on the number, uh, but they basically... Uh, uh, you know, basically they've lessened the crimes, and now you can steal up to, I think it was just under a thousand dollars, nine hundred and something dollars, and it would not be considered a felony anymore. It would have a another classification. And so in our society, they're lessening the consequences of the crime. And really what ought to be done in our society, this is a good model, that whatever you steal, you're going to pay fivefold. You're going to pay fourfold so that your state your condition as a human being would be worse than before you committed the crime. But often now, it's interesting, you uh, see laws and you hear stories. Now you can uh, steal something in a store. And if a security guard tries to stop you and injure you, now the criminal can sue the security guard and get money and be rewarded for stealing. I was talking to, I hope he doesn't mind, I didn't ask uh, him, but um, Craig started working for a department store. I won't um, say which one, but uh, he was talking about, uh, as we were talking about the commandments, he says, yeah, uh, now we've been instructed that when you see somebody stealing, you're not supposed to stop them. You're not supposed to even follow them in the parking lot to get their life. You're supposed to do nothing. And I said, they've, and that's, that's the rule. That, that's the rule of the department store. And so they're encouraging bad behavior. Why? Because often, what, if some, he said, if something happens, you try to stop him, that person gets injured, then they sue Home Depot, and then they are rewarded hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars, for their inconvenience in being stopped from stealing. That's the society we live in. How far removed are we from the spirit of this commandment and the fact that if you are involved in this behavior of stealing, this, sin, this sinful act, 
then your state would be worse than before the crime was committed. We read in chapter 21, if you notice back in Exodus chapter 21, <clears throat> by the way, all, all stealing is stealing. It's not okay. But not all stealing was equal in punishment. Uh, let me, uh, let's look at Exodus 21. Notice verse 16 with me. He says, He that stealeth a man. Now notice he uses the word stealing here. Stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So in this case, you're stealing a fellow man, and we talked about uh, the sin of murder. That falls in that category, in that family of murder, because you're robbing someone of the freedom that, that is rightfully theirs. And in this case, if you steal a man to sell him, then in that case, you would be put to death. So that type of stealing warrants the death penalty, making another man a slave. So all stealing is stealing, uh, but not all stealing was equal in punishment. To steal a free man... To make him a slave is to hold another person in the, in the mind of God. To hold another person in such a contempt that the punishment would be death. That's repeated, by the way, in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 7. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren and the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die. Notice he calls him a thief. If you take a man, make him a slave, and sell him, you are no better than the thief. He says, thou shalt put evil away from among you. That man ought to die. So all stealing is stealing, but not all stealing was equal in punishment. And so the consequences of stealing were quite severe. A man would be left in a worse state than before he committed the crime. And in some cases, stealing is so severe when it comes to his fellow man that God says that the punishment for that type of stealing is death. By the way, that would be in good, uh, good encouragement in preventing crime. But then as we think about the application of stealing within the Old Testament, it's interesting that often we think, well, the Spirit of the law is really communicated in the, Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, but really, I hope we've seen that really the Spirit of the law is also communicated in the Old Testament, it was just not understood in that way. And when it comes to the, the commandment, thou shalt not steal, there is a pretty broad application to stealing. Uh, in other words, there was a variety of ways in which stealing was committed. We may classify stealing into three categories. Now, I've just made up those categories, and so there may be more categories, or you may break those down into different categories. But let me give you the three categories based on what we find in the Old Testament. There is the first category of stealing is the act of taking what right, rightfully belongs to someone else. So it is the act of taking something that rightfully belongs to someone else. That is classification number one. Then there is a second classification we found in the Old Testament, and that is the act of withholding what is rightfully due unto someone else. So not only is stealing referred to as the act of taking what belongs to someone else, 
but it is also the act of withholding what is rightfully due unto someone else. And we'll go to the scriptures. I'm just giving you the three classifications, and then we'll uh, go to the scriptures. And then there's a third classification, and that is the act of surrendering what is not yours to surrender. So those are three classifications in the Old Testament. Let's deal with the first one. Now, by the way, the reason why I'm going to expand on that is because when we make application into the spirit of the law in the New Testament, we're going to find those three classifications to be true. So notice, first of all, the idea of taking. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus in chapter 6. In Leviticus chapter 6, he, he gives us further explanation here as he expands on this commandment, Thou shalt not steal. He mentions here there's different ways that a man can take and steal by committing the act of taking what is rightfully what rightfully belongs to someone else. So notice with me Leviticus chapter one verse five, uh, uh, chapter six, verse one through five. The Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, if a soul sin. And commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or hath found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely, in any of all of these that a man doeth, sinning therein, then it shall be. Because he hath sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle. That means with interest and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. So here within the idea here of there is stealing, in it, which is the act of taking what rightfully belongs to someone else, then he expands into different categories within that particular act. Notice in verse 4, uh, we have the classifications. He says, then it shall be, because he hath sinned, and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away. So here's the first way you can steal by an act. He took uh, violently away. That is, taking something from someone without regards to their will or their knowledge. So without the will or the knowledge of the owner, you're stealing violently by force. Uh, I, we may call this blatant stealing. Just the act of stealing. You know, today what they've called, in our, they've called it in our society, shoplifting. As if to minimize the act. It's not stealing, it's shoplifting. No, let's just call it what the Bible calls it. It's called stealing. Today we have certain states that have so encouraged sin that today there's people on video, through the news you've heard it. I don't encourage you to listen to too much news, but... There's enough, probably, you've heard that people now, they walk in store, they shove a bunch of things in trash bags, and they walk out, and nobody does anything. That's blatant stealing. He mentions here, he took violently 
away without the will, the knowledge, the permission of the owner. So we may call this blatant stealing, the act of taking what rightfully belongs to someone else. But then he mentions verse 4, after this he says, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten. I will call this deceitful stealing. In the, in the sense that he cheated him, probably here as he's referring to those words, the thing which he had gotten, uh, which he had deceitfully gotten, this was often done when somebody would cheat somebody in trade and commerce, where they would defraud somebody else in a business transaction, or they would extort someone, they would charge someone um, uh, something that was not proportional. Uh, they would overcharge someone, or as it was used, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, they had a balance system, and God says when you use the balance system in the purchase and the selling, you have to use a just balance and a just weight. And so that's we might say that this is the act of taking something that belongs to someone else, but we may call this deceitful stealing. So it's not open... Uh, boastful before uh, blatant stealing before someone taking something violently but it's deceitful stealing defrauding someone in business extorting someone of money that rightfully belongs to them then we go notice in verse 4 then he says or that which was delivered him to keep now this means somebody who is unfaithful in that which was, which was committed to his trust and in this sense we may think about banks today when we place our, uh, our money in the bank, we receive a receipt. And we are entrusting those funds to the bank. We are entrusting those funds to an investment company. We are entrusting those funds and, uh, to them. And let's say that they take that away, then they are violating our trust. And uh, we may refer to that in that time. They didn't have a bank system as we have it today. But often people would say, hey... If you give me this, I will return your investment. I will return what you've given me with usury, with interest, where you will make a profit off of this. And so I will call this opportunity stealing. Where someone didn't necessarily intend to steal the money, but since the opportunity presented itself, notice he says, that which was delivered him to keep. He was entrusted with funds and it was opportunity stealing. He doesn't return it. He took the opportunity to steal. Then he mentions one more at the end of verse 4, or the lost thing which he found. So this would be d the, the denial that's of the possession of another. You deny that you possess that which belongs to somebody else. Um, in this sense that let's say somebody lost an ox and it's not yours. And you bring the ox home, and then your neighbor comes and says, hey, I've lost my ox. Where's my ox? Have you seen my ox? And you know you found an ox. And they say, I don't know of any ox. I haven't seen any ox. And so here he says, notice, or the lost thing which he found, where you are being deceptive. I will call this quiet stealing. In other words, you didn't really steal it. You didn't go into your neighbor's yard and forcefully took him or deceived him in trade or even uh, took the opportunity because the ox was entrusted to you. As the ox happened to be there and, and you took it and you concealed that you took it or that you found it. And so these may all be within those, the act of stealing. There's blatant stealing, deceitful stealing, opportunity stealing, and quiet stealing. 
We could think about illustrations, but blatant stealing is the act of taken by force. We know what that is. Deceitful stealing. Uh, the idea here is that uh, you, in commerce and trade, you intend to defraud somebody in business. Um, the idea of opportunity stealing is you may not intend initially to take something from someone, but now that the opportunity presents itself, you're going to take that opportunity. And then there's quiet stealing. I did quiet stealing when I was a young man. I was eight years old. I was eight years old. And you all, I've probably shared this story before. But children, I stole, I stole a Bible. It was both, I could say, opportunity and quiet stealing. I came, into, it was a Wednesday night, I came to the Awana's club, and all the children were gathered together to assemble for the Awana. There was the open assembly, and I was walking in, and I saw on the bleachers, on the top of the bleachers, there was a nice, thick Bible. At that time, it seems about this thick. I was smaller, so now it's probably about this thick now. Everything seemed bigger back then. But I saw a Bible, and I saw that, and so that was um, both opportunity stealing and quiet stealing in the sense that I didn't go there to the Iwanis Club planning to steal anything. But I saw a Bible and all of a sudden I saw I have to have it for myself. And then there was quiet stealing in the, fa in the fact that that evening uh, the youth pastor got up behind the pulpit and said, has anybody seen my Bible? The youth pastor. I thought, oh no. And I took the Bible and I hid it in my, in my jacket my coat and then I went to uh, I thought to myself well I got to return this Bible without anybody knowing that I stole the Bible and so uh, I went and I put it in the bathroom so that somebody would find it I forgot that I had I had crossed out the name of the youth pastor in there not looking at whose name it was and I put my name in it so when they found the Bible they found my name in it <laughs> be sure your sin will find you out opportunity stealing quiet stealing. By the way, there's many ways in which we can apply this. But let me hasten here because the first category or the first classification of stealing is taking, the act of taking what rightfully belongs to somebody else. But then within the Bible, there is a second category and that is the act of withholding what is rightfully due unto someone else. Now, the way it is applied in the Bible is applied in various ways. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19, let's look at um, the idea here of withholding, which is, in fact, stealing. Notice uh, Leviticus 19, verse 35. He says this, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meter yard, in weight, or in measure, just balances, just weights, a just ephah, or a just hin, shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them. I am the Lord. Now here when he talks about the meter yard, and the measure, and the balances, and the weight, uh, most things back then did not come with a little price tag and a barcode on it. But the way that people would do things is they would measure. Then they would weigh things. And so they said this is worth, uh, this is worth 10 shekels of silver. And what they would do is they would put 10 shekels of silver on the balance. And then they would put, let's say, the grain on the other side. 
And uh, when it balanced out, then they would say, all right, that is worth, this much grain is worth 10 shekels of silver. And so uh, they would use weight and things like that. Now, sometimes people would use false balances. Or they would use a false weight, where the weight was uh, not as heavy as it ought to have been, and they were defrauding. So in that sense that they would, in business, they would withhold the right judgment. They would withhold the right proportion, that which was rightfully due unto the person that was purchasing the product. By the way, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, I preached on this verse, the Bible says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. And then there he's referencing commerce. That in commerce, those who are involved in business, selling, trading, buying, ought to use a right balance and a just weight. And so we see here, this is you're withholding what is rightfully due unto someone. You're being deceptive in that you're withholding the truth. You're being deceptive. There's a, another form of stealing that is often seldom considered. Stealing is not only, as I mentioned, taking what belongs to someone else, but it is also withholding that which is rightfully due unto someone else. Notice with me in verse 13 of Leviticus 19. He says this in verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. So that's stealing, right? How would he do that? The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So here's, here's what he says. Um, do not withhold somebody's wages when they've already worked. They've worked, and therefore they should receive what is due for their labor. Now, by the way, he says here very clearly in verse 13, don't rob him. So in this sense, stealing is the act of withholding something from someone that is rightfully due to him. In other words, think about it this way. The employer has the money. It belongs to him. And while it is in his possession, he hires someone to do the work. And when that person does the work, the money that belongs to him now really doesn't belong to him. It belongs to somebody else. But he is withholding that. And God says, you're robbing him. You're stealing from him. By the way, that goes both ways. If you're hired to do a work, then you should do the work. And if you don't do the work, you're robbing the employer that is going to pay you for the work that you're doing. And so in both ways, there could be stealing that's involved. But here we're thinking about withholding what is rightfully due. So an employer may withhold the wages. The employee may withhold the work. In both cases, it is stealing. My dad actually taught me that very early. He says, hey, when you, uh, when I, my first job in college, I had it for four years, but they had those old, old time cards. And you would slide it in and it would punch a hole when you check in and then it would punch a hole when you would check out. And my dad says, when you check in that time card, you better not steal from your employer. And what he meant by that is, when you're hired to work, you work. And you stop working when you punch the clock out. So, it goes both ways. There's a, another form 
Or a second example of withholding that is rightfully due unto another. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi the prophet has a very stern message against the children of Israel, specifically also the priests, those who are to be the spiritual examples and authorities in Israel. And he says this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. He says, will a man rob God? Now, our mind there perks up and says, whoa, whoa, how can we be involved in stealing from God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And here it says, in tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So in this sense here, it falls within the second classification that they weren't robbing God in the sense they were taking something from God by force or by deception, is they were withholding from God what was rightfully due unto Him. Now he mentions here tithes and offerings. The children of Israel not only had to tie all of their increase, but there were also some prescribed offerings that they had to offer. Uh, when they committed certain crimes, there was a, an offering that was a prescription for that. Uh, by the way, we didn't go through it earlier, but if a man stole an ox, an ox, he had to not only repay five oxen, but then he had to bring an offering to the priest for his trespass. And that was considered a prescribed offering. So it was not necessarily an offering that he had to make, but if he did transgress the law in that way, he had not only to he had to not only to tithe, which is what he already did, but then he had to add an offering for that transgression. And so we see here that God says, You've robbed me because you're withholding from me what is rightfully due unto me. So this is in the in the is the in the same sense that an employer withhold from the employee his wages. It rightfully belongs to him but he withholds it from him. And in the same way, we can withhold from God here tithes and offering that are rightfully due unto him. He says later, by the way, when he says, bring ye in all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice, he doesn't say give the tithe. He says bring. Why? Because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And so he says, you've robbed God. You've withholden from me what is rightfully due unto me. There's a third classification. The first classification is to the act of taking what is rightful, that what rightfully belongs to someone else. Second classification is the act of withholding what is rightfully due unto someone else. The third classification is the act of surrendering what is not ours to surrender. Where do we see that? Turn back with me to the book of Leviticus in chapter 25. Leviticus and uh, chapter 25. Notice with me verse 23 and 24. Leviticus 25, 23 and 24. The Bible says, The land shall not be sold forever. He's talking about the promised land there. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. Now who's speaking here? God. The land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. 
and in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. So, uh, by the way, uh, here, very important, uh, God says, this is my land. You will not sell the land. Uh, There was a provision for them, they could lease out a portion of their land, but they could never sell the land that was assigned to them. And here he says that the land is mine. So the children of Israel, notice, they were not owners. Or they were not the, um, uh, the possessors in the sense that it belonged to them. God says it doesn't belong to you. The land is mine. But they were custodians, or the Bible word is they were stewards of the land that belonged to God. And in this sense, God says, you will not sell the land forever. It is mine. So in this sense, again, if they sold the land, they would be surrendering what does not belong to them in the first place. They would be surrendering something that they have no right to surrender. That is stealing. Why? Because it belongs to God. You can't sell what doesn't belong to you. So those are the three classification. That's the, we could say, the broad application of stealing. The act of taking what rightfully belongs to someone else. The act of withholding what is rightfully due unto someone else. And the act of surrendering what is not ours to surrender. All right. With those things in mind, there's also a sense... as we look throughout the Old Testament, that there is a companion. There is a companion to stealing. A, a companion sin, if you would. Leviticus 6, 5 says this, Or all that about which he hath sworn falsely. He talked about in that chapter, as we read it, about stealing, whether it is by force, uh, by deception, by occasion, opportunity, uh, uh, quiet stealing, all those things. And he says, uh, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely. Leviticus 19.11, he says, Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. So there is a sense in which, speaking, in which stealing and lying go hand in hand. The one, when the one is present, the other is companion. If you steal, you're going to lie. And those are companions. And we find that throughout the Bible. Now, before we go into the New Testament and talk about the spirit of the law, how this applies to us today, uh, let me read to you what Peter Masters wrote about the idea of, of stealing and how we ought to understand it in our mind. He says, theft in all of its form forms is, per- is particularly a law... Um, and unpleasant because it is saturated with pride, deceit, and hypocrisy. He says, in the secular sphere, arrogance is seen in the way a thief suspends the basic rules of society and exempts himself from them. Common thieves or the predators of fraud in business life would not want anything to be stolen from them. Like everyone else, they want law and order to be maintained in society 
and would be applied if their children were mugged and their homes burglared. Yet when they swindle or they steal, they exempt themselves from the law which they expect to be maintained for their own comfort and protection. They suspend the rules of society for their own activities and there is no higher level of arrogance and selfishness than this. All forms of stealing are arrogant, making the offenders regard themselves as uniquely above the rules which they expect everyone else to follow. So, I hope we capture here the idea of stealing when somebody steals. It's not just about an act of stealing, it's about the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart. And by the way, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft. That's what he said. Theft. Out of the heart proceeds theft. You think about um, Achan. You remember the walls of Jericho came down and he went. And when Joshua asked Achan what happened, you remember the testimony of Achan? By the way, this is not what others said about Achan and how it happened. That's what he said himself. What did he say in Joshua 7.21? He says, When I saw the spoils and a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold and 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. That's what Achan said. I saw, I coveted, and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. Here's what he says. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. That's the process. He saw all those things. His heart began to yearn, to covet. He thought, covetousness, I'm not trying to get on myself before the 10th commandment. Covetousness is thinking that you're going to find satisfaction in something outside of God. I coveted after. I thought these things would make me happy. These things would bring me satisfaction. And I therefore I took it. But then what does he do with it? Well, he hides it. That really brought satisfaction. You couldn't live without it. But that's how he convinced. That's what covetousness is. You convince yourself. You deceive yourself. You lie to yourself. Believing that those things will satisfy you. And then all you end up doing with it is hiding it because you can't live with it anyways. Self-deception. All theft comes from the heart. It proceeds from the heart. Okay. Let's take those three classifications. Taking, withholding, surrendering. Let's apply them now to, to our lives today. Let's think about taking. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians and uh, chapter 4. Notice Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. He says, Let him that stole 
steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So notice it, let him that stole, he says, for those of you as believers, let him that stole in the past, I believe he's talking about before you were saved, let him that stole in the past, he says, steal no more. Now that you're a Christian, don't steal anymore. Uh, so what he's saying here is it is possible for those who used to commit fraud in business or steal something from others regularly before they were converted, before they were saved, that they may slip back into the same type of theft. And so let him that stole steal no more. Uh, by the way, this uh, you can think about the, the application in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. He, talk about, he talks about uh, masters, uh, he says, uh, verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 6, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, uh, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is their respect of persons with God. And so there would be a struggle, right, as believers now. You think about the relationship between a master and a servant. He talks about how the servant ought really not to take advantage of his master. The master ought not to take advantage of his servant. And you can think about many ways at that time how you could take advantage of them. And so uh, he says, look, if you were involved in... Uh, def defrauding, stealing, don't do that anymore. And here let me uh, include within that, what is the opposite virtue of stealing? Well, he mentions it right here in Ephesians 4.28. He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather, here's the opposite positive virtue, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give. So the opposite positive virtue is give. Notice, the opposite positive virtue is not work, but it's work to give. That's all you work. You work that you may give. You work to provide for your family. You work that you can give to the work of the Lord. That, that's why you work. And so the opposite is, right, don't rob your employer. Don't rob your employee. Uh, work with your own hands so that you may give. In other words, that ought to be the spirit of the Christian. The Christian doesn't look to benefit himself, whether it's taking something by force or withholding something that's rightfully due to somebody else. Uh, but he works to give. And uh, by the way, that's the spirit of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for all. So, we see here that the opposite positive virtue of, of theft, of stealing, is to, to give. That He may give. So that's the, the taking. But then let's talk about the withholding. Let me, let, let's come to two areas of withholding. If you go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians and uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> Notice with me in verse 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, 
that no man go beyond and defraud his brother, notice in the next few words, in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now we think about defrauding, and we think in the sense of, okay, that's uh, in the Old Testament, um, defrauding someone, withholding from somebody what is rightfully due unto them in commerce or being deceptive. But here he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says, don't defraud your brother in any matter. Don't withhold from a brother what is rightfully due unto them. And by the way, God sees that so severely that he says God is the avenger of all such that do what? That defraud their brothers. I'm going to talk here in just a moment about how we can defraud. Withhold what is rightfully due unto somebody. Uh, You remember, and I'll just go there. The Bible talks about gifts that believers have that ought to be exercised within the church. That God gives uh, the measure of faith so that gifts can be exercised within the church. So, let me ask you this. If God gives us a gift, by the way, the purpose of a gift is so that the church may be edified, built up. If God gives us a gift, gives us the measure of faith that we may exercise so that we may exhort and edify and encourage a brother and a sister in Christ. If we withhold that, are we not stealing? Withholding what is rightfully due unto them. Withholding what God has designed for them to receive. But we are not giving them what God intended for them to have. In um, Hebrews 10.25 he says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so he says here, don't forsake the assembling of God's people. If you forsake the assembling of God's people, how are you going to exhort one another? How are you you going to encourage them, build them up in the faith? And if you forsake one another, are you not withholding from them what is rightfully due unto them? If we... Based on the Old Testament, if you withhold something that is rightfully due unto them, then you're defrauding your brother. You're not to defraud your brother, he says, in any, any matter. Let me give you a second example. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Again here to think about the point of uh, n- uh, not withholding what is rightfully due to someone else. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, the context here is talking about marriage, the uh, relationship of the husband to the wife. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. He says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Now, do you see here the language? He says, There's something that you ought to do for your wife. Don't withhold that from her. If you withhold something that is rightfully due unto her, then you're stealing. Are you not? Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. The idea here is just to think about an employer who needs to pay the wages of an employee 
And he ought not to withhold due benevolence to his employee. Now, obviously, the relationship with the husband and the wife is not, I'm not trying to compare that to an employer and an employee, but the idea is the same. Don't withhold what is rightfully due unto them. He says, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And so the, the husband has a responsibility towards his wife. He has due benevolence towards his wife. The wife also has due benevolence towards her husband. And we might put it this way in the terms of Ephesians chapter 6. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Wives, um, uh, obey your husbands. Submit yourself unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And so when we think about these are the responsibilities, that is the due benevolence of the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. If you withhold that, you are stealing from them what is rightfully doing to them. The ministry that God has assigned you to, your spouse, if you withhold that from them, you're stealing, you're robbing them. What God desires for them to have through you. That's quite serious, isn't it? Notice he, he keeps on going. He says, verse 4, The wife hath no power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Basically, the wife... What her mindset is, I want to please my husband. And the mindset of the husband is, I want to please my wife. That's the mindset. The mindset is not, you need to please me. No, you need to please me. No, it's, I want to please you. And vice versa. Verse, verse 5, here's what he says. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. And so he says here basically, by the way, he's talking, I believe here, about intimacy. And so don't withhold that. Except it be for times when the Bible says that you, uh, you are involved in uh, a spiritual practice or prayer or fasting, then there ought to time, then you should withhold intimacy. But don't defraud. Husbands, don't defraud your wife. Wives, don't defraud your husband in intimacy. If you do, you're stealing from them. He uses the, it's not me, he uses the word defraud. Don't withhold from them what is rightfully due unto them. So we have the idea of taking what doesn't belong to you, what belongs to somebody else, withholding what is rightfully due unto somebody else. But then there is the truth of surrendering what is not ours to surrender. What does Paul write to the church of Corinth? He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Christian says, No, I'm, I'm saved, but my life is my own. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. And I would say, No, you're not. You are bought with a price. And so, if the Lord is Lord of your life, your life is not yours to do with it what you please. Your life is not yours to surrender to the world. To be, as Romans 8 says, to be a debtor to the flesh. You owe nothing to the flesh. But you owe everything to God. You owe everything to Christ. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your life is not yours to surrender in the sense that it belongs to the Lord. We may think of John 21. Turn with me, we'll end here in John 21.
Oh, sorry. I'm in, I was in Matthew, the wrong place there. John 21. Jesus has um, <clears throat> been raised from the dead. And in John 21, there's a conversation between Jesus Christ and, and Peter. And uh, let, let's begin in verse 15. John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because... He said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. What does he say here? Well, let's think about it in terms of the commandment. Thou shalt not steal. The Lord says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And so then he puts Peter right before the responsibility that God has given Peter, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. That's a direct command from Jesus Christ, is it not? So in this sense, Jesus Christ says this, do not withhold from my sheep what you have for them. He doesn't say to Peter, by the way, feed your sheep. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. I'm entrusting you with this responsibility, Peter, and if you love me, you're not going to rob my sheep. You're going to feed them. If you don't feed them, Peter, are you not? Is he not robbing, taking away what belongs to the sheep that God intends for them to have? Of course. There are certain things that if we in our lives surrender them Surrender from fulfilling our responsibility in that area, which is not ours to surrender, or we might say to forsake. God says, be blessing to brother so-and-so, encourage him, exhort him. And if we've, we, we refuse to do that, God wants to minister to that person, and he chooses human instrumentality to minister to others. And if we fail to do that, then we are robbing that person of the blessing that God intends for them to have. Just like He told the children of Israel, the land is mine. It is not yours to surrender. And if you surrender the land that is mine, you're not a good steward. Are we not stewards of the mysteries of God? It is required then in stewards that a man be found faithful. The Bible says we are laborers together with God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so if God wants to do a work and He wants to use us in the process, but we refuse to be used of God, we surrender or we forsake God's calling in our life, just like Peter would say, no, I'm not going to be involved in feeding the sheep, then you are robbing the sheep of the food that they desperately need. By the way, he continues and says in John 21, verse 18, Verily I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt uh, stretch forth thy hands, and other 
shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Uh, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, by the way, Jesus told his disciples early on, he said, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Doesn't God deserve fellowship, discipleship on our part? Does he not deserve fellowship? Let me answer it for you. He deserves for us to follow him. Absolutely he deserve it, deserves it. Then if we don't follow him, are, are we not robbing God of the ministry that he wants to have in our lives? Verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned upon his breast at supper and said, Lord, uh, which, uh, uh, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to him, uh, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? What about, what about John? What, what, do you, what do you have for him? Jesus said to him, If thou will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Peter, you just have the one thing to focus on. You need to follow me. <clears throat> thou shalt not steal. What's the spirit of the commandment? We should not be taking what rightfully belongs to someone else. We should not be withholding what is rightfully due unto somebody else. But also we should not be surrendering what is not ours to surrender or to forsake. Maybe I should use another word for surrender because we think about surrendering as surrendering our lives to the Lord. But to forsake what is not ours to forsake. The children of Israel, it was not theirs, their, it was not on them for them to forsake the land. God gave it to them. Not to anybody else. He says, it's not yours to forsake. It's not yours to sell. And as Christians, there are many things that God has reserved for us. A ministry that God has given us. The idea that we would follow Him, give to Him, uh, commit our lives to Him. Our body belongs to Him, does it not? We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which are the Lord's. So this evening, let me ask the question I asked at the beginning. Are you stealing and you don't know it? Are you robbing God? Are you robbing your fellow Christian of the ministry that you ought to give to them? And some of you, maybe you're involved in stealing from your employer. You're not working as you should. Some of you may be an employer and you're not paying your employee as you ought. Whatever the case may be, I don't know. Uh, but uh, some of you, I, for all uh, I know, you could be stealing. I don't know. But stealing is much more prevalent in our lives than we may think because it applies to many areas. Taking, withholding, or forsaking all fall under the category of stealing. Let's pray.